Mac Power Users, Episode 188, Don McAllister Returns. Welcome back to another episode of the Mac Power Users Podcast. I'm Katie Floyd alongside David Sparks. Hey, David. Hey, Katie Floyd. How are you? I'm good. Now, you were starting to get sick on the last episode. Are you hanging in there now? Yeah, you know, I'm actually getting, I think I sound worse, but I'm feeling better. All right. Well, good. So Good, good. So I, and I've got my finger over the cough button, which I may need a few times. <laughs> okay. I'll live. Well, we want to welcome back to Mac Power Users a, a very good friend of, of both David and mine and a friend of the show, Don McAllister. Welcome back, Don. Hello. Yes, it's great to be back. Uh, it's a second time now, so that's fantastic. Yeah, we, we last spoke to you. I had to go back and reference my notes. Uh, in February of 2012, that was episode 74, for anybody who wants to go back and listen to Don's last episode. And, you know, I was just thinking it, it doesn't seem that long ago, but it's it's been yeah. over two years. And boy, wow. lots of <laughs> lots of change since then, haven't they? <laughs> It certainly has, yeah, yeah. The, the core, the, the core thing's been carrying on, you know, um, as it is. But there's been lots of additional things, lots of changes in the way I do things. Um, so yeah, uh, a lot, a lot of water under the bridge since uh, 2012, February 2012. Oh, it's a long time. Yeah, I mean, we've got a new Mac Pro. You've got, uh, you've, you've probably got an entirely new uh, workflow and setup because I know you don't stand still for long and and you upgrade everything. You, you just every time something Apple releases, Don always says, "No, I don't think I'm going to buy that." And then I get another. <laughs> tweet oh just hopped by the apple store and picked up oh, a new yeah. Yeah. there <laughs> might be I'll, I'll the, the similar theme in this show then, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. i'll never forget watching one of down screencasts and seeing he had i think it was menu meters at the time this goes back years mm-hmm. and in your menu bar you had like i think it was like 24 cores like showing up in the cpus <laughs> and i'm thinking you know what I really hate that guy. I just really hate him. <laughs> yeah, that, I think that was the uh, the original. That's it. Probably the eight core Mac Pro that I got a long time ago. That one was, and it was oh, it was just a lovely. Well, the, the nice thing was, of course, you know, you you really need the software to drive all the cores. And uh, at the time, I was using Final Cut Pro Seven, I think, and that actually did use all the cores when it was encoding. So it was nice to see all se- all seven or eight cores bouncing along. You know, f- at max utilization. Yeah, it was good. Now, a quick encoding war story, if you could have such a thing. My daughter was in the national video competition and actually down by Katie. It was down in Orlando a couple of weeks ago. And they got the um, uh, they, they got in this big competition. They call it the Sweet 16. And the kids have 16 hours to produce a video. And they uh, got everything done. They spent the whole day shooting. They finished the edit. Um, 45 minutes before it was due, they pressed the encode button and it says estimated time, 50 minutes. See, in that case, they would have been better to ship it to Don, let Don encode it in about 45 <laughs> seconds and have Don ship it back to them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> she said they, they ended up, uh, they brought it down to 720 and they were still like a minute late. She was just very oh. disappointed. <laughs> Well, you can never rely on the timings anyway, because sometimes it, you know, it says that and then it flashes past or, or it'll say it's going to be short and it'll take longer. It really depends on the, cause it's only an estimation anyway, but uh, yeah, very frustrating. Yeah. Now, now Don, I want to, for, for people who maybe haven't heard of you, which is like maybe two people listening to this podcast, but just in case, and 
tell us a little bit. You're, you're probably most known for Screencast Online, mm-hmm. and uh, that is a, a website, a video tutorial site, a podcast. I don't even know what you would classify. Now it's a magazine. That's something new that we've got to talk about because yes. you didn't have the magazine in February of 2012 mm-hmm. uh, when we launched. And you uh, you have d- produced um, you know video tutorials and now magazine content for both Mac and iOS. And you've been doing this for years. I mean, you've been podcasting longer than I've been podcasting. Yeah, like early early 2000s? I think I started in 2005, um, but I didn't go full-time until 2006. So, uh, yeah, pretty pretty early on in, in the podcasting space. So, I mean, so, there's over 500 tutorials on there now. So it's, uh, there's, there's, there's quite an archive. Yeah, so give us a kind of a high-level overview, and we'll, and we'll get down as we do into the nitty-gritty a little bit later, but give us a high-level overview of, of, of what Screencasts on, Online is and, and, and who this Don McAllister guy is and how he got started with it. Right, sure. Yeah, well, basically, I mean, it, it started off as a hobby. It was a hobby podcast of mine. I, I wanted to do an audio podcast. I, I really got into podcasting when it first came out, and I was going to do an audio podcast uh, because I, I was a relative newbie as well. I only really got, I got my first Mac in uh, around about March of 2005, so I was new to the Mac. I've been a PC guy, you know, for, for the longest time. I, you know, without giving my age away, I can remember way, way back. Um, but, uh, you know, the Mac here in England, we didn't really see many Macs around. And uh, I was, uh, I sort of lost my, my enthusiasm for computing. I was a really big uh, computing fan, but I sort of lost lost my mojo. And then I just uh, happened to see um, uh, one of the keynotes by Steve Jobs, the, the one where he introduced the Mac Mini. And I was really impressed with uh, iPhoto. He was showing iPhoto books. And then at the end of the keynote, he brought out the Mac Mini. And it seemed like a, a no-brainer. It was nice and cheap. Um, you know, I, I could just have it on a, my desk, use my existing keyboard and mouse and try it out. And uh, it took me a, a little while to get that Mac. But when I did get it, you know, I was hooked that, that was it then. I was, uh, it sort of brought my mojo back. So I really got enthused about it again. I wanted to do an audio podcast about, you know, a new Mac user. Um, but when, when the time came, I actually sort of just, it didn't happen. I had the domain name. I had it all set up, but I just never sort of, it didn't happen. And then I, I started to get into doing screencasts because I evangelized about the, the Mac and some of my relatives bought one. And I wanted to show them how to how to do things, how to do simple things on the Mac. And, uh, you know, at the time, there were very few screencasting applications around. But you know, there was one, so I used that and did a few screencasts. And then it sort of, you know, the light bulb moment, hey, I could actually do this as a podcast. So I started to do a weekly podcast and do just a short tutorial and send it out there uh, for free. And uh, it sort of just took off from there, really. You know, I sort of built up um, a good user base. Lots of people were enjoying the stuff I was producing. And um, after six months or so, I sort of, another light bulb moment thought, you know, I could add extra value to my videos and perhaps do it uh, full time and make a a career out of it. And uh, that's what happened, basically. I I sort of packed in a full-time job and uh, decided to do the screencast full-time. I spend more time on doing the screencast because it's very labor-intensive. You know, uh, it takes a lot. To, to put a screencast together, especially as they were getting longer and longer, taking up more and more of my weekends. So uh, I got to the point where, you know, I'll do it full time, add some extra value in, do HD content and turn it into a business. And, uh, you know, touch wood, it's, it's, it's gone great since then. You know, Don, Don, did you have any video background before? I, I know you had an IT background before, but... Did you just decide I'm going to start screencasting and then I'm going to figure out how all this video stuff works? Um, I, I dabbled with video. I mean, I'd done a couple of wedding videos and, you know, I'd had a camcorder and played with it. And in fact, that was one of the things that impressed me with the Mac Mini and that, um, you know, I bought a top of the range PC, which was, you know, uh, 
this stonking great big beast of a machine and I thought this is it this is my machine for life now you know so overpowered and everything and I did some video I think I was using Adobe Premiere at the time and um, you know, once once I'd edited the video and started the encoding, that was it. I couldn't do anything. The machine just locked up while I was encoding. I couldn't do anything with it. So, uh, but it did it. You know, it was fine. But uh, I got the Mac Mini and, and started to play with iMovie and started encoding a uh, a movie in iMovie and uh, I, I flicked to something else and the machine was perfectly responsive. And I thought, what's going on? You know, I, I can actually multitask properly on this machine. So yeah, I, I sort of dabbled with video, but uh, not seriously, not professionally anyway. As far as I know, Don, you were the first guy to make a living off podcasting. I mean, I'm sure there were others before you, but you're the first one I ever saw do it. At least in the Mac community. Yeah, yeah, yeah I think so. Um, yeah, it, it, the thing is, it, it was it was slightly easier for me to do that because um, sort of delivering training, it's, I think it's easier to, to monetize something where people have a, you know, everything has a value, but I think if you're training people, people see that as a, you know, uh, something that they, they probably should pay for. And uh, and that was easier to sort of bring people on board. But, yeah, there, were, there weren't many people doing it at the time. In fact, I, I did think that there'd be, you know, sort of many more following me. But to be honest, there aren't that many people doing it even now. Yeah, it's, but that's because it's really, really hard. <laughs> I <can tell> you. <laughs> yeah, it's not a walk in the park. I mean, I know I, I do two shows a week now, um, about, about 45 minutes worth of content. And, uh, you know, it's still it's still a full time job, even though I've got a, a small army of helpers now who help me out with the production stuff. Um, uh, you know, I still find time to do lots of the things. There's lots of I mean, for the last 18 months, I've hardly done any business related stuff, to be honest. You know, I've not really, really been promoting the business. I've really been focusing on creating the content. So, um, you know, and hopefully over the next six months, I'll do a little bit more promotion and a bit more marketing and stuff to, to build the business side of it up again. But it's, it's very difficult to do everything yourself, you know, producing the content, uh, producing it, doing the distribution, doing the, you know, doing basically everything really connected with, with running a small business. It's, uh, it's quite a task. So you produce, and correct me if I'm wrong, because you, you keep adding to this list, but two screencasts, two completely different screencasts per week. Um, one one for iOS mm-hmm. and one for Mac. These are yeah. uh, tutorials. But then you also yeah. release those screencasts in multiple different formats. You have um, uh, one for HD screens, one that's more formatted for iOS, and then you also do one that's overscanned, so it's optimized more for an Apple TV or, or for watching on a TV. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, basically, the, the, there are two tutorials each week, one, a Mac one and an iOS one. I'm finding more and more, though, that um, although when it started, they, they used to be different topics. Uh, there's, there's so many apps coming out now that have both a Mac component and an iOS component. I'm finding that um, quite a few of the weeks now I'm doing like, you know, the same app, but one on the Mac and one on iOS because they sort of link together. But, yeah, the resolutions that there are a HD resolution, the overscan and a low resolution one as well. So three different resolutions for, for each particular uh, tutorial so sort of six different versions and like a mini version as well um I, I sort of used to do it just a trailer which was just the intro but i'm starting to um just do the first five or ten minutes so people can get a, a better idea of what's contained within those videos as well so there's the trailer as well which is in or what i like to call now the mini tutorial which is uh, that in two different formats now that, that's actually fewer formats than you've used in the past i mean i remember a time when you had you know, the iPod version, the iPhone without Retina, the iPhone with it. I mean, you had a lot of versions for a while. There. Yeah, trying to simplify. And to, to be honest, I could probably drop the low resolution version now because, you know, most devices these days uh, will support HD video. So I could probably get away with dropping the, the low resolution one. But I mean, it's 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 all 
batch file driven now, so, and, and they're only small files, so um, I'll, I'll keep it for another year or two, I think, before uh, dropping that one. But, you know, to me, it's, it's, uh, if I can simplify it, it's better for me on the, on the production side, but it's also easier for the, uh, for the end user, for the customer to, you know, if they've got less choices, because I still get questions now, well, what's the difference between this one and this one? Um, you know, yeah, it's the same, yeah. just slightly different resolutions for different uh, use cases. I bet you have a text expander snippet for that question. Yeah, tremendous <laughs> snippets. Um, I also use uh, we use Zendesk now as well as a, as a proper help desk system, and that uses um, that has its own macro system built in. So uh, lots of the the common support calls now. I've sort of got a separate email address for support calls, and two guys helping me on the support desk, so we can use the uh, the Zendesk macros to to answer those support calls. Uh, how much support? Do you, I mean, how much, how many emails or support calls do you get a week? On your, uh, on it's, your- it's not that many, to be honest. Um, and it's mainly to do with, well, the two different types of support calls. One are membership related. So people who've uh, lost or forgotten the password or have difficulty subscribing to the, to the private members feeds, either in iTunes or in you know, third party podcatchers, uh, membership related questions or questions related to, you know, payments and stuff. Uh, and then I do, I do get some questions from members for basically technical support, you know, asking for advice and guidance on various bits and pieces or, or, you know, if they have a, an actual problem, um, which is fine. It's not really part of the service but you know um I, if it's easy to answer i will answer them um the, the the difficult ones are if i get a three page letter in you know with laying out a really complex scenario where they're having problems because you know it takes you an hour to read the email and understand it so i try and handle those a bit sensitively but if someone just sends me a one or two line question i'll, I'll do my best to answer it yeah, that's that's tough dear, dear don yeah. dear don I, I watch your screencast <laughs> Could you please write me a Perl script that will run an Apple script to rearrange my files in order of color? Thank yeah. you. Yeah, well, they're not that bad, to be honest. But uh, no, it's, it's, it's quite interesting. It's quite interesting. And it gives me a good insight as to you know, what, what people struggle with or what people have uh, issues with as well. So it's, yeah, we, it can be useful. We really struggle with those. I, I would imagine that you probably get more of those than, than we do. I just have a text expander snippet that sends all those to the Mac Geek apps. I'd be happy to share that, that snippet with you. I'm just kidding. Yeah, <laughs> but um, but you know that's interesting. Now I know one of the ways, perhaps that that you handle that because you know it's one of those things that if I get an email from somebody um, and I know the answer off the top of my head or I can find it very quickly, I try to send it. But I, you know I just can't spend hours doing individual tech sure. support for people. You've actually created a, a pretty active uh, Screencast Online community. Um, you you have a forum and then you have a Google Plus community, which you you and I talked about the Google Plus community quite a bit uh, at MacWorld, and you kind of encourage us to open our own. Uh, how are those working in terms of kind of the members helping members and, and the discussion going on to alleviate some of the support burden from you? Yeah, well, the forum, although it still exists, it's, I'm actually sort of running that down now because it's um, it's an, an old forum. It's running an old software and it, it suffers a lot with spam, you know, and, and getting hammered. So I'm sort of moving away from the, the, the old traditional type of forum. The Google Plus community is something relatively new. Um, and I'm very impressed, I have to say. I mean, I did... Uh, start using Google Plus when it came out, but then sort of left it. I, I couldn't really, it didn't sort of click with me. You know, I wasn't really enjoying using it or finding a use for it. But then the the whole Google Plus communities thing, uh, I see more and more people using the communities and different podcasts using it. So I investigated a bit further and uh, it looks pretty neat. So yeah, I've, I've sort of set that up and I'm trying to promote people to go across there 
Uh, initially, it was me sort of posting content, but now I'm starting to see more and more of the uh, you know of the members posting content and and uh, sort of you know just responding to other people's questions and things. So uh, it's 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 a pretty neat system. I'm very impressed with Google Plus. Right. Yeah, Katie did a great job setting up ours, and I've been having fun with it. So mm. you know, even an old dog can learn a new trick once in a while, I guess. <laughs> And, and you keep adding and adding to the screencast online empire. And, and, you know, a couple of, I guess it's been in more than a year or so now, you started adding captions because I know you had some people in the accessibility community that were, were asking you for captions. Uh, it's not a feature I use, but I think it's a great service that you provide. And yeah. and then you decided you needed a magazine. <laughs> so, <Yeah. laughs> what? So, I, I I enjoy it. Don't get me wrong. So my question: Why did you decide to to add a magazine? And and what? I think it fills an interesting niche. But I'm I'm curious what what niche did you think that um, would address? And is it in fact addressing it? It was an experiment, to be honest, because, I mean, when Newsstand came out, um, it was an ideal fit, you know, because it was basically, I mean, and I think I've used this analogy before, but whenever I've used to describe what my service was or what a podcast was, I used to always use the, the analogy of, of a, a magazine. So it's like, you know, it's something you subscribe to and it gets delivered to you. And, you know, you, you, I'd use the analogy of, you know, your magazine is posted through the front door once you're subscribed. And, you know, it, it's a really nice fit and it's very easy to explain to people. And when Newsstand came out, you know, with an actual magazine i thought well that's that's actually a really nice fit and and also uh newsstand also had the you know the the proper subscription mechanism um it had you know the ability to set up a paid subscription and uh, apple would, would do all the the commercial side of it which was great so it just seemed a really nice fit but when when it first came out um you know it wasn't the the panacea that everyone thought it was and that apple would give you uh, the ability to easily create and use like a, a, a magazine, you had to go away and create an application, which in hindsight was actually a very smart move because they've been able to, uh, we can see lots of different types of magazine applications that give you all sorts of rich functionality. But, you know, at the time when it first came out, I thought, no, there's no, there's no way I can sort of, well, I couldn't write it myself and I had too much going on to, to, to get someone to develop an app for me. So I sort of put it to bed and, and left it. And then when, I think when the next major release of Newsstand came out, um, I actually noticed that a, a platform was being publicized um, called Magcast, um, which is a, um, a, th- a third party platform product that enables you to create the magazine very, very easily. And it's actually uh, run by a guy called Ed Dale, who I'd met at the New Media Expo um, a couple of months earlier. We were on a panel together and he's a really nice guy. And, yeah, Ed's uh, a friend of the show. Oh, great, great. Um, so, um, you know, I contacted Ed and said, what's it all about? You know, can I get involved? And uh, he set me up with a, uh, with an account on there and I had a play with it. And I thought, this is perfect. This is great. And the original idea, to be honest, uh, although I love sort of messing with new technology, was really to perhaps position it as a low-cost membership because um, the, the current membership, you know, it's, 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 it contains all the website. It contains the entire archive. It's, um, uh, you know, the, the two shows every week and get them brand new each week. Uh, so there's a lot sort of bundled up in that membership. And perhaps that's not for everybody. And I, I saw the magazine as a way of, of doing a low cost membership. So put it through the newsstand. People could buy individual issues if they want and get just one month's worth of screencasts. Or they subscribe. They can subscribe to the magazine at a lower cost than the standard membership. Uh, they still get the video content, but, you know, they just don't get it every week. They get it once a month. And they don't get the archive, so it was a way of introducing a second tier of membership, really, uh, into you know the, the the business model that I have. But also, um, I, I felt when I 
produced first produced it, I, I didn't really want to start charging existing members extra. So I included it as a complimentary subscription to existing members. And any new members that come along now, they get a complimentary membership uh, or complimentary subscription to the um, to the magazine as well. So that's bundled in with their membership. So it's also value added for existing. It's customers. a value add for existing customers. No extra cost to them, and you know, new customers get that. And if someone doesn't want the full membership, they can go ahead and just uh, you know just subscribe to the magazine. I think a magazine works very well for for a video podcast. And I'll tell you, it, it, as you mentioned it, it clicked in my head, and I never clicked like that before. I had never thought of podcast as analogous to a magazine, but I think it works for video. I, I have always – I people ask me, what's this podcast thing that you do? And I always I always explain it as, well, it's like a radio show that you TiVo and, and all of that. But that doesn't necessarily apply for a video podcast and particularly one that has paid subscriptions. I think that's, that's a much yep. better analogy for, for something like Mac Power users than it is for screencasts online. But the, the magazine analogy, I think, works great for you, and, and you've supplemented it. It's not just the videos that you do. You, you also have these brilliant yep. and amazing writers, well, if I may say. Top, top class contributors right. to the magazine. <laughs> <laughs> Come in and, and write for you. See, they get, they get value-added content. But it's I, people, I think, still struggle, um, the muggles, as we call them on this show, um, still struggle with the concept of podcasts. And going into iTunes and clicking subscribe and finding podcasts is one thing. Yeah. But, but you have a much higher barrier to entry uh, because you're a paid podcast. So they've got to go to your website. They've got to figure out how to, how to register, how to sign in for a membership, and then how to, how to download a, a, a premium podcast or a paid podcast uh-huh. into their podcatcher. But subscribing to a magazine is easy. It's in the App Store. You download the app and you click a button and, and it auto builds your account and you're done. And I just thought this was this was brilliant. Yeah, and in, in the in the interest of full disclosure, I think we should say that uh, in case people don't realize that you both contribute to the magazine as as valued contributors. So <laughs> thank you. <laughs> well worth checking out for your contest. No, it's great. And and in fact, you're completely right. Um, I mean, I've I've tried to automate it as best I can on on the on the the website so that there's some you know single. Just just click a button and it will, once you've navigated to the correct feed that you want, click a button and it will auto-subscribe you to iTunes. But it's so much easier uh, using the magazine um, analogy and, and you know, actually subscribing in the newsletter. I also have started as well doing, you know, if, when a new member starts, um, I, I, they, they get a, a, a sequence of uh, mini newsletters, basically, which takes them through uh, every couple of days with some features that are contained within the membership so you know uh, they'll sign up and get their username and password and then the next day or two they'll get a, a, a newsletter saying well this is how you subscribe to itunes then the next day they'll get a newsletter saying well, this is how you subscribe to the magazine and go and download your free thing and then the next day this is how you search the website so they get about five or six um newsletters or, or emails uh, over the course of the first week of their membership that gently introduces them to the different facets of, of what they're what they've bought into uh, as a member Don, I'm always impressed how you've thought all this stuff out. Honestly, it's it must be, um, you know, just a great deal of time and attention has gone to this. Yeah, I think it's 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 a lot of. I think I'm always trying to put myself in into the members' shoes um, because it because I know everything. You know, I I sort of built it from scratch. Um, not so much the website. I had a, a guy called Jamie 
uh, Pico actually sort of did all the coding and everything, but the design and the, and the workflows I've, I've sort of built from, from scratch. So I know it inside out, but you know, someone coming in brand new and I, I still think that there's a lot more I can do. You know, there's a lot more simplification. Um, there's a lot more ways I, I need to help people navigate the, the enormous amount of information that's there. Um, so, you know, it's, it's a, it's a never ending process really, you know, it's, it's something that I'm always trying to keep improving on. Well, Don, of course, everybody wants to hear about your setup. And now that we've talked about a general overview of, of what you do, we, we want to hear the magic behind the scenes of how you do it. Uh, but before we do, we do need to take a quick break and talk about our first sponsor. And those are our good friends over at Smile. David, you want to tell us about our friends at Smile? Yeah, uh, this week we're sponsored by Text Expander, which is one of my very favorite apps ever in my whole lifetime <laughs> because it's the app that saves me so much time. With Text Expander, you can type in just any little snippet of text in any application on your Mac, and they have an iOS version too, uh, and it will expand to show a bunch of additional text. For instance, if Don got that long email about writing a Perl script and adding it to Apple Script, he could write like a paragraph saying, you know, I really appreciate hearing from you, but I don't have enough time to answer this question. And here are some resources that you may want to go see, blah, blah, blah. Well, not only could you have it write that for you, but you could also have check marks in there to say one resource is the Apple script uh, forum at this URL. And another resource is the Perl script forum at this URL. And he could just check the ones that are applicable to whatever email he's answering. So take this to your personal business and think about all the time you spend responding to emails with fairly standard responses. Well, with a little time and effort at the text expander, you could set that up and it would take care of all this for you. That's just the beginning. Text Expander has a bunch of tools and it, it can run scripts and it can do all this great stuff. I've got a whole portion of MaxSparky.com devoted to Text Expander snippets that I use. In fact, I was just uh, sharing at Macworld how I use them to send out meeting confirmations. And I've heard from a ton of listeners that are now doing that as well. Well, not only do they make this great app for the Mac, they also make it for the, I, uh, the iPhone and the iPad. And it's called Text Expander Touch. And I'm here to tell you, we have a new version of Text Expander Touchout, version 2.5. It's got a totally new redesigned interface. It's updated for iOS 7, and it looks it looks fantastic. Um, it uses uh, some new features. It's got the iOS sharing screen, so you can copy, you can email it, you can tweet it. You can send out your expanded snippet to as a text message if you want or an email. Um, it's got the swipe preview uh, or swipe left to preview the snippet from the snippet editor. And you can also uh, do some great group management. So if you want to set up groups of snippets, you can do that right on your iPhone now. If you want to put snippets into groups or rearrange them, you can do it. They've really added a whole bunch of management tools that they've never had before. And you know how much this costs, Katie? It's a free upgrade. Wow! So if you've if you've got if you're already in, you're going to get this free upgrade. And um, this is the part where I kind of feel like the guy who has Picasso on the show and starts talking about his finger finger paintings. But I did a, a screencast on it, and it just came out last week. So uh, we'll put a link in the show notes. But I did a little ten minute screencast for the guys over at Smile, showing them how how to use Text Expander two point five uh, Text Expander Touch. So go check it out. Oh, you know, another thing they added, I forgot to mention, um, keyboard shortcuts. So if you're on the iOS version, like if you're sitting at your iPad, now you can use keyboard shortcuts and text expander touch. 
some really great stuff. Uh, go check it out. Um, I have one last snippet here. I, I got a snippet from a listener who wrote in and talked about one of his favorite snippets. And I ask people for those sometimes. If you've got a good one, please send it in. But listener Scott wrote in, and he has a new eight-month-old son, and him and his wife are logging when their son goes to sleep, which kind of makes sense for a parent. And if, if I had this stuff when my kids were that young, I probably would have been doing the same thing. And uh, he was doing it uh, by hand in the, in, in the calendar application, and then he started using Fantastico, which helps a little bit. But he wanted to make it even faster. So now he opens drafts and then he types in his snippet. His son's name is Noah. So it's S-N-O-A-H. So sleep Noah. And it automatically creates an event called Noah asleep at. And then it enters the time, um, the date, uh, the date and the time, which you can do in text expander touch. And then it sends it off to Fantastical from drafts. So with just five letters, he can log that thanks to text expander. It's a great application. Thanks, uh, Text Expander for uh, and Smile for supporting the show, and go check it out. So, Don, I have to ask: Do you have a new Mac Pro in your house? Not yet, <laughs> but it's been ordered. I'm so, dis- I'm so disappointed <laughs> in you, Don. Uh, well, but uh, ask me again in two weeks. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, All right. <laughs> no, I, 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 I succumbed and uh, I placed an order. You about- said you weren't going to do this. I know. I know. Well, you know, the thing that, that pushed me over the edge um, was the, it's, and it's not even out yet, but I saw some of these new monitors that are coming out. You know, the ultra wide monitors look fantastic. So I thought, well, you know, I'm going to, um, I've stuck with a laptop. I, I mean, I've got a, a really good MacBook Pro um, as my main machine at the minute. And the, one of the main reasons for having that was so I could be mobile and do sort of, you know, production from anywhere. But in reality, I don't, I don't create screencasts away from a studio. Uh, I'll do uh, editing and I'll do, um, you know, some of the post-production workflow, but the actual creation, I've never, ever done a screencast. I think once when I was at Macworld, I did a short one, but you know, it's it's not going to happen. So I thought, well, no, I could go with a desktop machine. These fantastic new monitors that are coming out look fantastic, and I'm really looking forward to getting one of them. So I thought, no, I'll bite the bullet. I'll set up a proper desktop system in the studio and get one of these nice new monitors when they come out. And uh, yeah, so I had. Okay, okay. So two questions. The first one is, I've always wanted to see someone do this, and you're the you're the first close friend of mine to get a Mac Pro, so I feel comfortable asking you this. Uh-huh. Um, will you? I want you to get a, a ping pong ball, yeah, and just put it in the middle and turn it on. <laughs> And I want to see if you remember when we were kids, those things that yeah. would keep the ping pong ball floating. Levitate. I'm, yeah. Yeah. I'm thinking you might be able to pull that off. You know, especially okay. if you like, maybe like if you're like encoding, you could like measure the performance by how high by the ping pong ball. Don't. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It might spin around a couple of times. I'm not sure that um, they run so quietly, apparently that, uh, you know, that the, the actual draft of the, of the air coming out can't be that great, surely, but we'll give it a go. Yeah. I shall try that for you. Now, are you going to put it on the desk or, or underneath? Uh, I'm going to have a bit of a revamp, so I'm going to resort my desk out. Um, so I'll, I'll need to keep it fairly quiet, but they are very quiet. So I'll probably have it on the desk. I don't know. I don't know. It's 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 something that doesn't necessarily need to be on the desk, and there are go- going to be so many things connected to it. It might look neater uh, off the desk, but we'll see. Yeah. I'll reserve I, judgment. I think for the first month, you're going to have it on the desk because you're just going to look at it and smile yeah, and, and, and maybe fondle it a little bit. You know, that's okay. Be placed for when I do my video podcast so that's in the corner so people can see. No, no, no. We'll see. We'll see. Did you did you see the picture of the guy who did his, like, love shots with his oh, Mac Pro? Yeah, yeah that was embarrassing. <laughs> yeah, no, I promise not yeah. to 
But <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm sure Mrs. Don would really. I, I'm still coming <laughs> back to Don bought a Mac Pro because he wanted to buy new monitors. But yeah, um, yeah, uh, you know, I'm finding it hard to justify. <laughs> That's but... a good point, Kitty. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, it's the, the the whole 4K thing. But saying that, though, I mean, my current MacBook Pro will do 4K video. Um, once no, the drop. Don, so, that, that's totally fine because I got a new Thunderbolt cable. Cable, uh-huh. so I decided I need to buy a new Mac because <laughs> I need to plug it in. <laughs> yeah, but um, no, it's it's something you know when when they first came out, I. I I, I did con- make the conscious decision. No, I'm not going to get one yet. I'm going to leave it and see how things work out. Because I was intrigued to see, you know, what the whole monitor happened with monitors. Would Apple bring their own monitor out, or um, you know, how, how that would would work out? I mean, the current monitor that they advertise on the on the the App Store or the iTunes, not the iTunes Store, the the Apple Store, the online Apple Store is about two and a half grand. It's awfully expensive, and it's a sharp standard. Um, aspect ratio monitor but the one i've seen what i've got my arm on is uh i think it's actually an lg um 95 i think which is a 34 inch super wide screen so it's a it's not a 16 by 9 it's a 21 by 9 aspect ratio which gives you a, a perfect as- aspect ratio for doing video editing because you get a really long linear timeline and plenty of space you know above that for uh, multiple windows and stuff so yeah and it just looks so cool you know i thought no i've got to, got to have one of those and the rumor is it's going to be less than a thousand dollars when it comes out which uh, will be incredible if it does come out at that so i thought well it's due to come out any any month now so i best get my order in for the mac pro so i can get both when they uh, when they hit the streets so don tell me uh when you do your screencasts because you're using these high resolution screens now mm-hmm. uh how do you set your screencast to get it to the right proportions for your audience right well i'm going to have to change it slightly because at the moment when i do a recording i've got my macbook pro um and then i have a 27 inch thunderbolt display so what i do is i'll actually record on the macbook pro and i'll set the screen resolution to the resolution that I want to record at. And uh, it's, it's, although they're standard resolutions for, for HD, so 1280 by 720, or uh, I actually use 1600 by 900 as well sometimes, um, you'll find that a lot of Macs don't actually support those resolutions natively. So I use a program called Switch Res X that allows me to change the resolution uh, to a custom resolution. So it depends. It depends how, how complex the UI is on, on the application that I'm recording. If it's a, if it's a very complex UI, and I, I perhaps want to zoom into areas of the screen rather than seeing the, the entire UI at once. I record at 1600 by 900. And then I can then zoom in to 100% because I always produce at 1280 by 720. So the final, the final product is always 1280 by 720. Um, but if I use that slightly higher resolution, I can actually zoom in without any loss of quality. But if it's a very plain application that doesn't really need zooming in, I'll, I'll just use uh, 1280 by 720 to record. Okay. So if you if if it's one you're going to zoom in on, then do you zoom in for the entire screencast? I guess uh, no, you would. No, 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 you can you can you can use. Um, I actually use ScreenFlow, which is a great video editor. I mean, I used to use Final Cut Pro before ScreenFlow was available. Yeah. Um, but ScreenFlow is optimized for screencasts, and you can do um, uh, little. Yeah, I can't remember what you call them now. Actually. The, blanked on the name but there's little video edits you can put in you can drop a little video edit and it's a little ramp that will zoom in from one area of the screen to another area of the screen and it's very easy to manipulate and stretch yeah. it to to resize to change the the speed of the zoom so no you, you can do that you know I'll, I'll zoom in say to the top corner and zoom out again to the full screen zoom into the bottom corner i mean not too busily obviously i don't want to distract people but if i think there's value in 
highlighting areas of the screen or if there's something I want to zoom in, I, I can do that. Or occasionally I can put a little um, a call out so you can actually zoom the area around the cursor. And, yeah. uh, you know, if there's something under the cursor you want to highlight. But I tend to be very, very cautious on, on putting too many effects or too many embellishments in the screencast because they can be off-putting sometimes if there are too many of them. Right. I know one of the things that uh, I've done just a few screencasts, mainly for, for presentations, and this is probably just something you have to learn the hard way, but things that are distracting, you know, like too many mouse movements or, oh, yeah. you've made an edit and the clock has suddenly jumped. And I just, gosh, Don is so <laughs> polished. He's figured all this out. I'm, I'm sure you, a lot of this you've just figured out by trial and error. But uh, uh, Yeah, it's, it's funny because I, I, I don't do uh, – when I first started, I was very conscious of that, of, of – uh, and I had to fix a lot of it in post-production. Whereas now, because I've done it for so long, I, I sort of record with that in mind. Um, I know Wally, when he's recording his videos to do his, his movies, he records for the edits. So, you know, he's always thinking ahead of, uh, that's Wally Chewinski who does the, the video column in the magazine. He's always thinking how to take a shot so that he, he can edit it, you know, with minimal editing. I'm like that now on the screencast. I, I, I will record a screencast and I'm very conscious of continuity. So that if, if I stop, and I do stop a lot um, um, because I only record in small sections, I'm, I'm consciously aware of where things are on the screen, um, you know, and uh, picking it up from the same point. So there's, it's a nice fluid action through. Is there an still okay yeah, to fix? Them, yeah, is but, there an app yeah. that you use to remember screen positions and put everything back? I mean, I know you do some tricks like hide certain things on the menu bar and and hide your desktop yeah. and and probably have separate login accounts. But are there any specific apps that you use to say, okay, I'll hold uh, my screen here and then resume it back where it was or anything like that? Yeah, I'll, I'll use an application called Moom M W O M, which is uh, quite nice. You can actually take a snapshot of the windows. And uh, because sometimes, you know, you'll, you'll be working on a window and then you accidentally you'll move it fractionally and that will cause a, you know, a jarring effect, especially if you do an edit. So uh, Moom allows you to take a snapshot of the windows on screen and uh, just a keystroke will put them all back again for you, which is really nice. So that's, uh, that's a neat application. It does other things as well, but that's the main thing that I use it for. And then you talked a little bit about your, your hardware setup. I, I know you're getting the new Mac Pro and you're looking at this, this ultra wide screen monitor and we know you've got the, the Retina uh, MacBook Pro now and the 27-inch monitor, but yeah. is that pretty much your your hardware? I mean, I know previously you had multiple octo-core Mac Pros, or I mean, have you really consolidated down to to one computer and one monitor now? Please, Don, come on. <laughs> well, I've got a second 27-inch monitor, and that's on another piece of vital equipment that's just behind me, which is my walking desk. So um, that, that's that's another addition to the studio, which I didn't have before. But I've got one of these um, these walking desks. So I'm not on it all day, but and I can't do it while I'm editing or recording. But when I'm doing emails or some stuff, I'll just jump on the walking desk. I'll use mirroring on the, the Mac Pro to mirror the screens to the uh, monitor on the, the walking desk and carry on working from there. But other than that, I've got I've still got my Octo Mac Pro, but it's just just a spare machine at the minute. I also have a Mac Mini, um, but I use that mainly as sort of like a home server, to be honest. So that uh, I've attached some storage to that. But um, they're the two, they're the three main machines that I use, to be honest. So all of the encoding right now is is happening from the from the MacBook Pro. Well, it's interesting that you should say that, but I actually do very little encoding. Okay. In fact, I don't do any encoding at the moment. Um, I offload all my encoding to my digital assistants. So, um, yeah, so they, they do the, uh, I mean, the, the whole workflow has changed uh, from, you know, once it's been created, I, I now have uh, uh, six or seven, uh, in fact, no, it's more, probably about 10 guys 
uh, who who helped me out at various stages of the production process. And um, one of those is the uh, there's a, a piece of the workflow whereby you know I send them the ScreenFlow files, and they will do their they will do the encoding for me and produce the final versions as part of a a, a work package that, that they do for me, and then they will then upload that. So that part of it is actually outsourced now. So. I don't really need to do that much encoding at the moment. So, so you do all the recording. Well, not I, I know you've had a few guest screencasters come in from time to time, mm-hmm. but for the most part, Don McAllister is the screencast online brand, so to speak. Uh, yes. So, yeah. so you do the recording of the screencast. You do most of the editing of the screencast, um, and then it, and then you you ship that off to um, some of your digital production assistants, who then pick up the different steps along the way. Well, I can or, you want to run through the, yeah, the process. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, Take that long, but basically, yeah, I I, uh, I have got some guests who are coming in uh, on a more frequent basis, actually, to do uh, guest screencasts, which is great because it uh, sort of takes some of the pressure off me as well. But basically, uh, I will uh, create the content, so I'll, I'll script it, I'll do the um, you know the the outline of what's going to be contained, I'll then do the recording, and uh, as I record, I edit as I go. So any mistakes, any bloopers, or any anything I don't like, I'll cut out as I edit. But basically, uh, I'll end up with. Um, a ScreenFlow template, which has the opening to a show and the ending to a show as a, as a template. And then I'll, I'll tag my recording on at the end of that ScreenFlow template. So basically, uh, at the end of the recording process, it's, it's been partially edited. Um, pretty much the running order is exactly as I want it. There shouldn't be any mistakes in there. And, you know, the flow is as I want it. So I've got a ScreenFlow file, which has got um, the front bit, the end bit, and then at the end of that, I've got the actual content itself. And I then um, create a job in what's called Podio. I've got this online system called Podio uh, by Citrix, which is sort of like a workflow package. Um, it's, a, it's a really neat system. It's very good. But I've created a number of what they call apps in there that allow me to hand off jobs to different people. So there are three guys who do um, what I call the assembly edit. So I, I upload the ScreenFlow template with all the content into Dropbox and create a Podio job, assign it to one of those guys, and they can then download it from um, Podio, or rather download it from uh, Dropbox. They will then do what's called the assembly edit. So they'll now, take If the, I can just jump in for ask a question real quick. Yeah. How big are these files? They can be very large. Um, they can be up to, I think the largest, largest one's about two or three gigabytes. Okay. So they can be very, very large because they've got all the sort of high resolution content in there. Right. Oh. But um, the nice thing with Dropbox, though, is because w- once I've done the upload um, and once they've downloaded it, when they upload the changes, it takes a fraction of a second because you're not actually changing the bulk of the file. You're only changing um, the, the screen flow sort of metadata in effect. Yeah. So Dropbox does the deltas. It's great, yeah, yeah. It's very, very quick once the upload's been done to to download it and or upload it again. So it's really easy. So they do the assembly edit. Uh, so they'll top and tail it. They'll put the captions in. They'll put the the, the chapter flags in, etc. And they'll send it back to me. I do a final run through to make sure that everything's happy and as I want it to be. And then we have a final ScreenFlow package. Then I create the trailer as well. Again, all in ScreenFlow. So I'm not creating any video at this point. I'm just creating the ScreenFlow packages. Then I create another Podio. Oh, I then extract the audio and that gets sent off to a guy to do the transcription. So they'll do the transcription. I'll get the text file back. Once I've got the text file back and uh, the the two ScreenFlow files, I'll send that off to uh, one of the other assistants who then does a post-production job, which sometimes includes, sometimes I'll do a separate subtitle job, but, um, you know, they, they'll actually get that ScreenFlow file. They'll do the encoding. Um, they will upload to Libsyn. They will then go into the website and create the show pages. And they'll then test the RSS feeds because that's all automated now. And um, once that's finished, they it's ready for publication, basically. I'll do a final 
assign someone a final job to go in and test everything, you know, so someone else is testing to make sure that everything's where it should be and uh, everything's downloading okay. And then just basically just set a flag to publish it. And when the date comes along, that will be published to the Screencast Online website. Wow. Dead easy. <laughs> yeah, no problem. You just do that in an but afternoon, right? But it's all it's all controlled by this Podio application. So I can, you know, assign people using Podio. They can they get notifications when the job's been assigned to them. Um, they can get all the content through the Podio job. So I can put links in there. That I can put files in there. Um, also, one nice thing is you can set up checklists as well. So they can run through a checklist in Podio. And as they're checking off jobs, I get notifications back. So I can be driving down the motorway with my iPhone, watching, you know, listening to Spotify, and I'll get a notification come up to say that Mark started the production job, and then ten minutes later he's done another part of the production job so you know it's it's really it can sort of keep track on where everything is and uh and manage it that way it's, it's a really neat system don you've just completely emasculated me right now <laughs> david maybe you should outsource your screencasting to don's people because <laughs> my my system is i record it and then i edit it and then i do the post and then yeah. I, I produce it <laughs> Been there, done that, david. i've done that for for well, five yeah. six years i've done the, the idea really to, to do this um, was to, to free because, you know, it, it's, it's, it used to take me forever to, to do the show. And when you do 52, two shows, 52 weeks a year, because yeah, you know, it's, 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 a, it's an awful lot. So the idea was really that this would give me some space to, you know, throttle back a little bit. But of course, that never happens. Um, you know, the, the space that I've made for myself, I've sort of filled in with some other bits and pieces. Um, but you know, it's, it, it's okay. I think eventually once I've got everything, uh, properly, uh, sort of procedurized, I'll, I'll create some gaps in there for me, but, uh, for now it's, it's all working very well. And of course I also, there's also three days out of the month where I have to do the magazine production as well. And again, I, I've started to use Podio to, to track that and actually to, to be involved in the production process as well. Um, because the, obviously all the videos are produced as part of the, the, the website production process. But all the, the written content um, comes in via Podio. I get the, uh, the authors to submit in Markdown and send all their images in through Podio. And then I actually do something rather clever, actually, which, which is really good in that you can extract from Podio in Excel format. So once the content goes into Podio, I can do an Excel extract. And then I can use, because I use Pages, the old version of Pages, to actually produce the magazine. So all the layout is done in pages. Uh, I have some pages templates which use mail merge. So I basically take the Excel output from Podio, convert it to numbers, and then use that as mail merge to create all the written pages within uh, the magazine in, in pages. And, and that works terrifically, cuts down the production time immensely. And then, you know, there's a manual process then to do all the, the artwork and stuff, but it, it speeds up the process considerably. I think we're going to have to dive a little deeper here, but I need a minute to process all this. (laughs) (laughs) I've got some questions. So before we dive a little deeper, I do want to take a quick break and thank our second sponsor for this episode. And those are the folks over at MacPaw. Um, And they make one of my favorite utilities for the Mac, and it is Clean My Mac 2. And I'll tell you, I was kind of one of those people that I was nervous about all of these, you know, file system and cleaning utilities. I had used some in the past back when uh, Mac OS X first came out, and I got burned by some of them, you know, these things that would clean out your universal binaries and clean out your language support files and give you more room on your system and end up wreaking a lot of havoc. And so I had shied away from these type of programs, but I'd heard really good things about Clean My Mac and 
decided to give it a try. Um, and it is now kind of my go-to application for, for these types of things. So what Clean My Mac does is it will scan your Mac. And it's probably one of those things that you want to run every month, every every couple of months. And it will scan uh, your files for system type of junk. It will, it will look for caches. It will look for extra language localizations that you're probably not using. It will also look for large files that perhaps you haven't opened in a while. It will scan through your iPhoto library. And it's it's really neat in the way that it will do this. And it will say, you know, iPhoto keeps different versions of all of your photos so you can go back in the changes. And it says, well, here are all the photos you have, but these are all the photos you have. And the only change you've made is maybe that you've just rotated them. So do you want to get rid of these duplicates where the only change you've made to your library is you've rotated your photo? Yeah, that sounds like a reasonable, I can, I can get rid of those types of things. Uh, if you want to actually uninstall a file, a lot of the times just moving the file to the trash. I mean, it's a Mac, it's pretty easy, but it doesn't uninstall kind of the extra dangling preferences and all of those things that happen in there. So Clean My Mac will do that. So you click one button and it goes through and it does this comprehensive scan of your Mac and it will give you a breakdown of all of the things that you can do. It can clear out the caches. It found this many um, kind of dangling login items. It found this many things in your iPhoto library it could clean out. It found that you hadn't emptied the trash in your iPhoto library in a while. I mean, a, a whole sort of things. It found this many files that maybe you had forgotten about that were large files that hadn't been used. And it will give you a total number of things that you can clean. And you can go in and customize and say, well, do this, but not this, do this, but not this. And at the end, I, you know, I've got an SSD with, with only 256 megabytes or uh, gigabytes, excuse me. That, that would be bad, 256 megabytes, wouldn't it? Uh, yeah. Um, I think I'm going to have to go to 512 next time because it's starting to get tight. But Clean My Mac has really saved me uh, pulling stuff off of that. And it does it safely. And you can go to their blog and you can learn more about this. But they've got special exceptions set up so that you don't have to worry about having an issue where uh, you pull. It, it's very respectful of code signing. You don't have to worry about it pulling out localizations that you need. I can really trust it when I hit the clean button that I'm not going to wreak all kinds of havoc on my system. So you can find out more at macpaw.com slash clean my Mac, or we'd really appreciate it if you'd use the link in our show notes, because that's got a little special tracking code that will let them know that we sent you. Uh, clean my Mac is available for $39.95, or they've got special bundles if you want a family license or if you need multiple copies. Uh, and while you're there, they've got some other cool software as well. They've got a uh, duplicate finder, uh, Gemini, and then they recently came out uh, with a new product, Titer, that they released at Macworld. So great company, lots of cool products, and uh, thanks, MacPaw, for your support of MacPower users. Okay. So, David, have you learned anything? I, uh, I'm taking copious notes, and the first one is get many assistance. <laughs> <laughs> No, Don, I, I really, I don't, I say that in jest, but I, I mean it. I think that's really important. I mean, when I look at the problems I'm facing in my life, it's just because I've bit off so much. And it, it is just an incredible amount of work. I just did this little screencast for um, for Smile on the text expander that I talked about in the ad spot. And these things always take four times as much time as you think they're going to take. Yeah, yeah. I, I, the, the difficulty I had was was just trying to get the process standardized because, you know, each week I'd do it slightly differently and, um, you know, you, you, you'd do shortcuts and stuff. But um, that, that was the nice thing of um, wanting to, to give it out to people is that I had to clearly, you know, make it a proper process and put the, 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 
the workflow in place that people could follow and then, you know, train the people on how to do it. So, you know, it, it was easy enough to train them, to be honest, and, and I've tried to simplify it as much as possible. But, you know, I created some videos that, that walked them through the each individual. And that was the main thing, to break it down into chunks and create the separate workflow packages to do just one part of it um, and then try and, you know, consolidate them. Like, for instance, the subtitle production job has always been separate to the post-production because it's it's two different packages, two different applications, two two whole different workflows. But now do, I'm trying to separate that into one. Do you still do subtitles in Final Cut or QuickTime? No, 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 no. It's it's all done with. Uh, once I get the the plain text file back, I use a package called um, Movie Captioner. Um, so that's all done within Movie Captioner, which is a uh, uh, it's both a Windows and and a Mac product, but basically it allows you to import a text file and then. Uh, we actually just use the audio track. We listen to the audio track and you can just hit the return key at each point once you've massaged the text into short lines. And that produces what's called an SRT file, which is a, it's like an industry standard output file. Uh, once I have that SRT file, I then merge that during the um, the encode process with, with Handbrake. Okay, so you do that in Handbrake. Yeah, the the encoding part of it again is is now standardised in that uh, I wrote a couple of uh, shell scripts that sort of take the the input file and then run it through a you know a, a shell script and spit out all the different versions. So there's some some coding in there that uh, checks looks at parts of the file name to see what type of job it is, and 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 then there's like you know three different uh, or six different handbrake encoding jobs in there that that do the different versions for me. That's interesting because the last time we talked, you were using compressor to do all that. Yeah, I, I, I was just sort of doing some custom compressor work. But uh, the, the nice thing with Handbrake is that, you know, it's um, it's very efficient and it, it produces great results. It produces quite small files as well. And the nice thing with screencasts are, you know, you can compress them quite heavily without a loss of quality because there's not that many moving pixels on screen. But uh, it's just easy to control. It took me a lot of trial and effort, to be honest, to get the shell scripts working just as I want. But uh they're working now, so I can hand that off to someone. And say, right, just run this script. Here's the, here's the create the output file, create the input files, put them in this directory, run this script, and then lo and behold, in the output directory, there's you know all the all the final videos that need to be uploaded to Libsyn. I'd like to wind Don't back. Just, uh, yeah, go ahead. I'd like to wind back just for a second, and we kind of skipped over it, but you know the the screen casting process. I'm increasingly getting emails from people asking how I do it. And I don't know about you, Don. I, I keep looking at the alternative tools, but I I am gener- generally using ScreenFlow for everything big, and um and it's just it just keeps con- continuing to mature, and it gives you so many tools. Like you said, you can scale the screen. You can add, you know, you can have the key bo- the key uh, presses show up right in the application. You can put little animations. Uh, the one I did for Smile, I had to put the touches in, and that was very easy to do right in the application. It just feels like ScreenFlow is just the most mature product out there for making produced style screencasts. Yeah, I mean, I mean, there there is an alternative. There is the the Camtasia product on the Mac, which you, you know, um, I've, to be honest, I I just haven't got the time to check it out, and I'm so familiar with ScreenFlow now that um, you know. I haven't got a problem that needs to be fixed, so I've not really spent time sort of evaluating other packages. Um, but yeah, it, you know, it's optimized for it's optimized for the actual job in hand. So I, I find it very, very useful, and I have a good relationship with with ScreenFlow as well. Um, you know, they're, they're very receptive to, to comments. 
Um, you know, it's taken a couple of versions to get things in there that, uh, and there are still things I'd, I'd like to be added in, but they're very receptive and they, they take uh, ideas on board as well. And it's nice when you see some of those come through and some of the new versions. But um, yeah, you know, it, it does it does everything I need it to do, to be honest. The other one you should check out is um, our sponsor, full disclosure, Tapes, which has got a great idea for like quick screencasts. But I guess that's, a, you know, it's not really something you'd use to, to make a screencast for your magazine or for your your, your, pod, your your podcast. But it's kind of nice being able to knock a quick one out and send it off. Oh, I'm not familiar with that. I have to check it out. Yeah. Don, one of the things I was thinking about is, as you were talking through all this is just the massive storage and bandwidth needs that that you must have um do you keep all of these original files i mean do you have all the original files dating back to the first screencast online or yes you have to let that go at some point or i sort of um because there there are intermediate files to get created When, when i export i sort of create full quality files and they can be quite large and uh I should really have kept them all, to be honest, because, you know, storage is, is so cheap now. But there, there are, I haven't got every, I think I've got all the production files, so I could recreate them if I wanted to. Not that I ever would want to, but yeah, I'm, I, I try to keep as much as I can. So I've got sort of the project files going back to the very first couple of screencasts. Uh, they're spread out over several different disc arrays now, I have to say. But um, yeah, you know, it's very rarely I have to go back and pull one out and, and do an edit or something like that. But I, I definitely keep all the project files. The intermediate files, I sometimes just delete and uh, I can recreate them if I need to. Do you have any idea, Ballpark, how many terabytes of storage you have? <laughs> oh, dear. Um, no, not really. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it must be, I don't know. I, I was only talking to a friend of mine. I've actually got under my desk. I can see it now. I've got a, a very old, uh, like PC, like eight bay tower thing with, with with a bundle of discs in there that I haven't fired up for about three years, and that's a Firewire drive. I've got an old Drobo eight drive, um, which again is full of drives, and I use that sort of like a, a third level backup. Um, I've got some old um, other disc arrays under the desk, which are connected to my Mac Pro. Um, and again, they're powered down at the minute, but they're full of drives. I, I need to really investigate what's on those. And then my, my newest storage, I, I've got some Thunderbolt storage. I've got um, a Drobo 5D. Um, I've also got recently a Synology NAS, which is brilliant. That's really, really good. And uh, just just a couple of smaller Thunderbolt drives as well, just for various backups and stuff. So, yeah, I've got a lot of storage. Uh, I really need to consolidate it now. Yeah, I guess I'm kind of surprised you've got your storage all over the place in a bunch of different platforms, but when you have as much as you need and you need multiple copies and backups of them because you yeah. can't just have one copy, I, oh, I yeah, guess that yeah. you have to. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely um, – I've been burnt by that before. You know, need to have multiple copies of, of everything. And uh, and there's off-site, you know, stuff in Drobo. Uh, I do backups into S3 as well for various things. So, yeah, there's lots of backups floating around. Um and of course, now that I'm getting the Mac Pro, of course these these are all Thunderbolt One. I really need Thunderbolt Two storage now. So, you know, oh, I see a future purchase. <laughs> we'll see. I think I'm going to use a Thunderbolt Two hard drive so I can justify going to buy a Mac Pro. Well, there you go. Yeah, just reverse it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Hey, I want to talk more about some of your production, but before we do that, I want to talk about our sponsor, One Password, and. Uh, this seems like an appropriate time to talk about 1Password because of all the news lately about the Heartbleed virus. Um, I guess it's called a bug, but it feels like a virus to me. And I was trying to explain this to somebody last night, how terrible this is. And, you know, no matter what you do on your own server side or your own local side, 
this this type of bug is one of those where you've still got a problem. And now more than ever, it's important to have a password protection tool. And I was listening to Jason Snell talk about this over at Macworld, and, and he made a really great comment. He said somebody asked him, you know, when is this stuff going to end? You know, when are we going to stop having these security problems? And he said, when is burglary going to stop? You know, it's never going to stop. This stuff is going to be happening from now on. You know, this is a new type of theft. And as long as we use computers to get work done and keep confidential information, people are going to try and steal it. And you need to have something at your back. If you haven't done it yet, you should go get yourself 1Password. By the way, uh, the way 1Password technology works, there was no vulnerability ever to your 1Password data through open, because they don't use OpenSSL. It's, it's all controlled by 1Password. So, so go check out 1Password. What it does is it creates and stores strong and unique passwords. It's on multiple platforms, the Mac, PC, iPhone, and iPad. And uh, it can sync the data over Dropbox, but entirely securely. So you've got your data everywhere you need when you need it. It can autofill passwords at your websites, and it can also create the, the uh, passwords for you. That way you don't get stuck trying to come up with some silly name. Instead, you just hit a button, and it generates this long text string for you. Um, we've got all types of uses for this application. Listeners are writing us in all the time. I just got an email from a listener talking about how she's using it to keep her secure notes. So like all of her personal medical information, she doesn't want to have on her iPhone, but she didn't want to have in an open place. Well, once you get through the one password wall, they've got a secure notes section that you can keep it in. Uh, it's a great application and it's on all three platforms. So you can go check it out at uh, one password dot com or agile bits uh, you can get a mac app store version for 49.99 or you can get a mac and windows bundle for 69.99 if you're a switcher uh, they've also got a version for the ios app store um katie when's the last time you used one password for this um to change i've been changing passwords it, all weekend and yeah um, exactly i mean i guess just in 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 giving a little more information about how this works one password is secure and your passwords in 1Password are secure. Of course, if you entered your password from 1Password into a site that was compromised, that password is potentially compromised. So you still have to go back and change all of your passwords. But 1Password makes that a lot easier because hopefully, number one, you aren't using the same password across multiple sites. Um, and so you can just change the sites that we know have been compromised. And number two, changing passwords with 1Password makes it pretty easy. And Don, um, I heard a rumor that you had actually made your one password tutorial free in light of this kind of um problem. Yeah, I, I was gonna interject at the end, but um yes, I I did a uh a, a thirty-five minute tutorial all about one password version four, which is the latest version, um, as part of the screencast online membership thing. So it was sort of restricted to members. But uh, I've stuck it um, on a public link now, so people can go across and uh, have a look at the, the the full video for free and uh, and to sort of learn how to use one password. Because and it covers all of it. It's not just specifically to do with uh, what you need to do to uh, change your password using the application. It's the entire you know the, the full breadth of what you can do with the application. Um, now it's on a, an obscure link, but what I'll do is I'll, I'll set up a divert for uh, screencastonline.com/slash/one-password. And that, I'll, that will take you to the public link for the uh, for the free video, so people can go across and check that out. Yeah, yeah go go check service. it out. Go check it out. Learn from the master. And the point on the Heartbleed is, you don't want to go change your passwords on these infected sites until they fix it. 
because the way it's working is right now, if they haven't replaced the OpenSSL bug code, um, when you go in and log in, you actually are putting your password and username out there. In fact, you, you should treat it like it's, you know, <laughs> like it's carrying a disease until they, they finish that. Then once they finish it, then you log in with one password, you create a new secure password. Uh, the other advantage of this, and I don't want to harp on about this, but because a tool like one password allows you to make a separate password for every site, the advantage of doing that would be if, for instance, somebody had used that Heartbleed virus or bug to get your account name and password at one site, they would not automatically have the password you use at every site. So that's just another reason to use it. Go check it out. Uh, go watch Don's video and and definitely put locks on your doors, folks. And this is a great way to do it. So thanks, one password for sponsoring the show. So, Don, let's let's dig a little bit deeper now in into the production. And um, you gave us a general overview of the the production of Screencast Online, and, and we can talk more about that. I I want to focus first, though, a little bit on the production of the magazine because that's something totally new. And sure. you gave us you gave us a pretty thorough overview. If we run out of time of production of uh, Screencast Online back in episode seventy four, so right. we'll put a link in that to the show notes, and and people can go back and and listen to that. But so. The MagCast, as I understand it, is uh, an app uh, or an app platform, and you should just explain it better, um, that Ed Dale and his crew built and developed. And you, the Screencast Online is built on this app platform, but you still have to individually create every issue. So, um, because magazines are not, I I thought initially when the magazines would be introduced that it would be kind of like iBooks author. And Mm -hmm. that's how we would create these magazines is we would use iBooks author and boom, but, but no, they're, they're actually apps as you pointed out. So um, talk to us a, a little bit about how a magazine is created, and then we can talk more about kind of the, the collaboration process of, of how you use sure. people to help you do that. But but big picture, how do I make a magazine? Okay. Well, as you rightly say, each magazine that you see on the uh, newsstand is a separate app. So, you know, the app has to be written and developed, and then the content is something separate. So the separate issues contained within the magazine is, is completely separate. You need to have an app that you can give to Apple, and they can then um, incorporate into newsstand. So Magcast itself is uh, a platform. Uh, so it's a, a web-based uh, or a server-based backend, um, but also a part of the process when, once you, you start using Magcast, they will create the app for you. So you you actually sign up as a um, an Apple developer. So you need your own developer account. I mean, it's relatively easy to set up and they take you through the entire process of becoming an, a, a, an Apple developer. You don't need any developer skills because they do all the coding for you. So basically, once you, once you sign up to Magcast, uh, you go through the training program and they will uh, you fill in all the you know the forms that you need to fill in, et cetera. And they, at the end of the process, will generate a, an app binary that you can submit to Apple and get approved for inclusion in the the App Store. So that's the that's the technical side of it. That's the initial creation of the app and you know getting it in onto newsstand. The actual um, creation of each individual issue is handled on the the back end. So you have a right. MacCast account. Can I can I interject with a quick question? Sure. Um, is the is the app customized at all for for you for Screencast Online, or is it is is if I open a Magcast account and I decide that I want to do the Mac Power Users Magazine, mm-hmm. 
are you and I going to essentially have the same app? And then what's customized is the content that we then put yes, in it after that. That's right. So it's the same. The, the, the core functionality will be the same. So you'll sort of see at the index page, the splash screen is different, but the index page where you see all the individual issues will be the same. The um, the functionality of sharing to Evernote or sharing to some, you know, the, the, the core features of the app itself will, will be constant, but obviously you know the 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 content makes it look completely different because it's it's highly stylized and you you have free reign to to put whatever you want into your magazine and they also they're very good as well in that they they continually uh, improve the app and put new features in uh, like this last version version 5 um before then it was just portrait mode only and now we've actually got landscape mode and you know they they just improve the app and they will uh, walk you through the process of of updating the binary on the app store so that you get all these new features uh, as part of the package. It's really really neat. All right, so you've you've got the app. You get it. You submit it to the app store. It gets approved, and then you have to go about submitting issues to the app. Yes. So each okay. issue is basically an in-app purchase. So you'll create an in-app purchase, and again, it's very simple to do. Um, but on the platform itself, you basically have. Um, uh, I've just realized I've just had a Twitter conversation with someone about uh, saying the word basically too much. And I realize I've said that about 40,000 times in this podcast, but never mind. Um, what happens is you uh, create a new issue on the platform. And then once you've created that issue, you can then start to create the pages within your app. And there are two different types of issues. There's a, a full issue, which is the sort of full color, uh, nicely formatted app. Or, or issue, and then there's also a text issue as well. Now, they're all bundled into the same issue, but there are two different flavors. There's the full version and there's the text version. So what you do, basically, is to take a PDF. You create a PDF on your Mac um, using whatever application you want. It needs to be a certain size and, and dimensions. But you create that P PDF, put all your content in, um, uh, you don't put any links in, but you might want to put sort of visual indicators where there needs to be links. So, for instance, if uh, if there's a link in the magazine, I actually highlight that in red and put an underline in so people can actually see that there's a link there. But we'll talk about links shortly. Um, there's no videos in there. It's just the pure content is in your PDF. I personally use Pages because I find Pages, the old version of Pages, to be a brilliant application for layout. And there's also that mail merge feature I mentioned before. But I create my Pages document. I have everything proofread so that everything's all hunky-dory, put all my images in, get it all looking nice. And then the PDF, uh, once I export from pages into PDF format, that PDF then gets imported into Magcast. So we upload it to the to the web-based service, and they then process that as uh, the content for your magazine. Uh, it doesn't take long. It takes probably an hour or two. Uh, you'll get a notification back to say that the PDF has been processed. And then when you go back into Magcast, you then have all the individual pages. Uh, it's sort of like um, uh, you'll you'll see the pages down the right-hand side and then the content of each page in a canvas. And you can then start putting links in, putting videos in. It's all drag and drop. So if, if there's a link on the page that I've indicated in red and underlined, uh, but I want that to link to another website, I'll just drag a link tool across, drop it onto the page, and then there's a form pops up. I type in the link, hit OK, I can then sort of adjust the size of the box where I want the link to be. And, you know, that's the link created. To, to put a video on the page, the same thing. There's a video tool. I'll drag that across from the sidebar, drop it on the page, fill in the details of um, the URL of where the video is, and hit return. And then I can sort of resize the box to fit in exactly where I want it to be on the page. And uh, basically, that's it. I just go through all the, um, go through all the document, go through all the, uh, the pages, put all the links in. 
And once you've done that, you can then hit a test. So you don't have to publish at that point. You can create a test version. And there's a separate app on the App Store, which is a test magazine. And you can then load the magazine in the test app and test all the links work, test everything works okay. And when you're happy with that, you can then hit publish and it will publish it to Newsstand for you. What, what do you think about all of the uh, talk about Newsstand lately? There's a lot of people publishing there who don't seem all that happy with it. Yeah, it's. Um, I, I still think it's a good service, um, but it's sort of like a hidden gem, really. It's not. I don't think it's sort of taken off as as people expected to or wanted it to. But I, I still think it has value. I still think people like the uh, you know getting the magazines from newsstand. Uh, Discovery is difficult. You know, it's it's very hard to find stuff in there. It, it's always been a bit strange that newsstand has never been a separate. You know, when you actually go into the store, um, it's very easy to go into the into the newsstand part of the store and fall out of it and not be able to find your way back in again because it's literally you know it's a, it's a, it's an entry off the drop down menu newsstand uh, with all the other different apps within the app store so that's not that's not done very well to be honest it's very hard to discover stuff in there but the yeah, course- it almost it almost seems like it should have its own store i think or so at least its own portion like it yeah. walled off section yeah, yeah, or, or one that you can't fall out of and go back into the app store because I think that's that's the main problem that people have. Um, I mean, you can go if you if you open the new stand app within iOS, you can actually go into the store directly from the app, but that takes you into the app store into the new stand section. But it's so easy to navigate away from there, and then you know you're you're just looking at normal apps. Where's new stand gone? Unless unless you know to go back up to the menu bar and, and drag uh, you know access one of the drop down menus, you, you you're stuck without going back out and back in again. So there's a lot that can be do, done for discovery and for, for, for making it easy to use. Yeah, I don't, I don't use Newsstand that much, Don, honestly, except mm-hmm. for your magazine yeah, <laughs> and a couple of others, because so many other people are still using their own dedicated apps that are outside the, the Newsstand system. But I think it has great promise, and I, I hope Apple will continue to develop it. I, I, I think they will. Yeah, I, I think they will. I, I, I think, you know, it's, it's the usual story. They've got so many things they need to look at and, uh, you know, they've only got limited resource. Something has to go on the back burner for now. But hopefully they'll uh, they'll get around to, to bringing it to the forefront again. And it, it seems like the MagCast platform is really a way that an individual or a small group can create a magazine because, uh, you know, I know Marco Armet with, with, the, with, with the magazine, you know, the magazine that we're all familiar with, Certainly, he has the technical skills and the ability to to create an app. And I, a couple, and I know Jim Darwipple's The Loop um, had somebody create one. Had an organization. I think he's since changed uh, create one for him. But you know, for example, if we wanted to do a Mac Power Users magazine, which yeah. I, I, we're not doing, people don't <laughs> just we're not doing one. Um, but if somebody else wanted to do one, it's it the the barrier to entry is is so high. Yeah, it is. And also with, with some of the other platforms as well, you know, sort of Adobe uh, have a platform and, um, you know, there's several other uh, vendors that have platforms that allow you to publish a newsstand. But, you know, my initial research was they were all very, very expensive. And, uh, you know, Madcast, although it's still, there is, I mean, I'm, to be honest, I'm not sure what it costs at the moment, to be honest, what the, so the entry cost is, but it's a lot cheaper than, than all the other uh, alternatives that were out there. And of course, um, there's some other features in there as well. I mean, you don't have to necessarily um, uh, set your magazine up as a, as a paid subscription. You can, you can do free magazines if you want. Uh, once you've got the magazine going, you can do subscriber only editions. You can do uh, free versions. You can do, uh, you know, different subscription rates. 
Um, it's it's very very flexible uh, depending on how you actually want to to publish a magazine within the newsstand. And so, well, you talked a little bit about um, how you use Podio to mm-hmm. to manage some of this, and so you have these a lot of the content, most of the content for the magazine, you're producing yourself with with your screencast. Yeah. But then you have writers who mm-hmm. are producing content for you. Um, they're they're and I'm just behind the scenes, what you have us do is is you, <laughs> I remember Don sent us this link to a video saying, "Here's a video of how you're supposed to submit your stuff." And I just rolled my eyes, going, "Oh my gosh, this is going to be incredibly complicated. <laughs> Can't I just email you a text file?" <laughs> it wasn't uh, it wasn't difficult though, was it? No, no, it wasn't. It wasn't too bad, but. Talk to us a little bit um, more about the Podio platform because I, I think you 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 told us a little bit about it. But sure. um, so that is is it's not really a content management uh, solution, but it's it's really more of a, a I, don't, I don't even know what you would call it. It's, but it's, it's really hard to to describe it. To be honest, it's sort of like a workflow management system. So yeah. uh, it enables you to create. Uh, what what they call apps. I'm not really sure if that's the, the best description of it, but an app really is, you can imagine an app as being something like um, a, a, an Excel table, a spreadsheet table. So you can populate the app with data and sort of each row on that uh, Excel spreadsheet can be, um, uh, you know, a single job. It's, it's really, it's really difficult to explain. Um, it's quite hard to get into. And in is fact, it, Is it more project management? Because I know, from my point of view, I'm just a lowly contributor. So all I do is I say, okay, well, I'm supposed to contribute to the magazine. Here's the issue that I'm contributing to. And then I have a couple of boxes that I fill out. I, I paste the text of my article in. I paste the text of the links in, which now I understand why you want that separately because you have to put the links in separately. Yes. And I upload the images for my article. Mm-hmm. That's really all I do. So yeah, that's all yeah. I see. So it's not incredibly complex for me. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, and, and it's not really com- – it's, it's what you do with it that can make it complex, to be honest. Um, but it, it's, it's more of a workflow management system. Um, so, so basically the process would be I've created this app where it, it has containers that you can sort of put all this information in. And I can go in, I can read that. Um, one of the processes for someone to come along and actually proofread the, the text while it's still in Podio. So, you know, we can sort of any errors or, or – uh, you know, anything that needs to be proofread can be proofread first. And then I can um, I can export that out. Um, uh, some of the other workflows, you know, I don't export out. I just manage or download files from within Podio itself, or I might uh, just keep an eye on the different um, statuses. You can have different status changes so you can see how a particular work package is, 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 is being progressed. You can have a look at status flags and things. Um, but for the magazine specifically, it, it's a, quite a definite process whereby once we've got the information in, um, I, can, I can go in, I can see all the contributors' articles sort of in a single view. I can go in and assign page numbers. I can go in and check the links. I can go in and add additional links in. Just, just basically massage the information while it's in Podio before it comes across into another application. And once I'm happy that all the information is in there in the right format, um, I can then click a button, export it out as an Excel spreadsheet, uh, convert that to numbers, and I need to convert it to numbers because I'm going to use it with pages. So basically when it's in numbers format, I've got this big spreadsheet of, um, you know, all the different pieces of information uh, in specific columns. So all the columns equate to the field names that I've created in Podio. And then in my pages document, I've got a template which has got the mail merge field set up. So, you know, one mail merge field might be um, article summary, article description, 
page number, uh, link. You know, the, I can set up multiple uh, mail merge fields within my pages document and then do a mail merge and it will basically create an entire document of, of all a pages document containing all the articles from that extract in, you know, like a 30 page um, pages document. But I can then go in and further manipulate. And then once I've got it finalized, I can then export it to PDF and then it goes into Magcast and that's when all the linking happens. So, uh, Don, um, on Pages for a second, when they came out with the new version, did that upset you? Is it working out okay? Where are you at with the new Pages? New Pages, I I like it and I use it, but uh, not for that particular process because it doesn't yet support the mail merge. So, um, you know, they were kind enough to keep both versions available to us, which is great. So, uh, and I think eventually... The new version of Pages will eventually feature parity with the the older version, in which case I'll probably be able to swap over from that. I mean, the only the only thing that's stopping me on the new version of Pages, well, two major features. One is the mail merge isn't there as yet, and also uh, quite a critical one is the um, text flow between uh, text boxes. You know, that's that doesn't work. There's no uh, text flow between text boxes in in the new version of Pages. Uh, if they can put just those two things back, I'll, I'll happily switch across to the new version of Pages and, and carry on with that. But for now, the old version works fine. Yeah. Well, Don, I, I want to talk to you a little bit more about just running a business and, and how all of this works, because Screencast Online really, really is a business. Mm-hmm. Uh, but before we do, I want to thank our last sponsor for this episode, and that is lynda.com. And lynda.com it's kind of a complimentary service to what Don does. They have over 2000 high quality and engaging video courses about all kinds of things you could ever be interested in. You know, Don has a very Mac centric focus and Linda has Mac centric videos as well too. But Linda also lets you learn things about if you want to learn more about business skills or finance skills, or if you want to learn about developing your professional goals, or if you want to learn about, uh, programming in PHP, or if you want to learn about AppleScript, or if you want to learn about either very high-level topics, or if you want to learn about more broad topics like mastering uh, a new software or building an iOS app uh, from start to finish, lynda.com probably has something for you. And the pricing model for Linda is very simple. You pay one low monthly price of $25, and you get unlimited access to their entire course library. So from beginner to advanced, it makes it pretty easy for you to learn something new, no matter what level you may be. Uh, And lynda.com can make it easy for you to find what you want. And just if you've got a couple of free minutes, you can pop on and watch just a section of a video. Or if you've got kind of a free weekend, you can go through an entire course on Linda. You can go at your pace. You can go backwards. You can go forwards. Uh, You can hop in if you only want to learn a specific thing about a specific uh, uh, topic. You can jump in or you can jump out or you can start from beginning to the end. Uh, With their premium plan, you can download project files and you can watch and listen and learn anywhere you go. But Lynda.com gives you some more tools, including searchable transcripts, so you can quickly find information about the course, or maybe you didn't quite catch what somebody was saying. You can go back to a particular point in the transcript where they said something and and go from there. So uh, they've got all kinds of things on Lynda.com. If you're interested in photography, you can learn about hobbies like photography and photo management and uh, podcasting, leadership, online marketing, how to make presentations, social media uh, web development, app development, game design, uh, all all sorts of interesting things on lynda.com. So uh, you can find more information over at 
lynda.com, that's L-Y-N-D-A.com slash MacPowerUsers. And by clicking on that link, they will give you a seven-day free trial. So go to lynda, L-Y-N-D-A dot com slash MacPowerUsers. Sign up for the free trial. You can browse their entire catalog, no obligation. Just see what they like. See if they've got something interesting. I know a lot of you are on spring break right now or you're getting ready to have some off time for the summer. It's a great time to stay active and stay engaged or maybe up your game and learn some new skills with lynda.com. So thanks, Linda, for your continued support of Mac Power users. So, Don, I know um, one of the things that we have people ask us about all the time is, you know, a lot of Mac Power users listeners are are small business owners or they work in small businesses. And, you know, Screencast Online is, is really, you know, you were one of the first podcasters we talked about who who made a living and were able to, you know, quote unquote, quit the day job yeah. um, running Screencast Online. And, you know, certainly not asking you to, to get into details or, or anything like that. But um, is it possible to run a business using a Mac? Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, because yeah, uh, everybody says, oh, you know, the Mac business tools aren't that great and the Mac accounting software isn't that great. And, you know, I, I still have to have a PC or I still have to get my bookkeeper a PC. Um, would you argue with them? Um, to be honest, most of the business related stuff that I do are, is all web based now. Um, there's not really that many sort of native Mac applications that I rely on as far as the, the business side of things concerned. I mean, as far as the... Um, you know, the actual website itself uh, runs a package called A-Member, which is is web-based. That's sort of like the management of the membership base. Um, my sort of accounts and everything, I use a system called Cashflow. That's cash with a K. And that's a UK-based, uh, again, web-based finance system. So I do all my sort of accounting on there. My accountant uses that as well. He's a PC guy, but he uses Cashflow. So, you know, there's no there's no issue there. Um, the payment processing is all done by a company called Fastspring. A, a, a brilliant, they're a US-based company. But again, everything that I need to do with setting up products and uh, sort of analyzing reports and, and um, it's all web-based. So, you know, the, I can't really think of a single, other than the standard spreadsheets, but again, I can use numbers fine for the limited um, spreadsheets, you know, that I, that I, I use uh, numbers is just fine. If I need to do some serious number crunching on a spreadsheet, I'll, I will flick over to Excel, to be honest. So, um, you know, I still use Excel for, uh, for really large spreadsheets, but most of the time numbers is fine. Um, yeah, you know, it's, it's, I think the, the, the platform specific days are long gone now. I think, I think now that we have the web and so many, um, richly featured web applications. It's no, it's no real barrier now. It's very easy to run a business from a Mac. Yeah, the one I I still hear from people on is QuickBooks. You know, and and Nuance has really never done a very good job of QuickBooks on the Intuit. Mac. Intuit. Yeah, Intuit. I just confuse yeah. them. Yeah, uh, but they, uh, you know, I know a lot of people are going with the online stuff, and people are resistant to that for the reasons I explained in the one password ad spot. <laughs> but the um, uh, that is the one area that I know people still sometimes will run a parallels install or have a PC in the corner for QuickBooks. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the only thing I, I, I struggle with sometimes and I haven't used it for ages. It was, it's not so much business finance, but personal finance. You know, I've, I've never really found a solution that I was happy with to run the business, uh, my personal finances on. So I end up using just a, a number spreadsheet to do that, to be honest, it's, it's a simpler solution. <laughs> But uh, no, from from the business perspective, and there's there's quite a few web based financial solutions out there now. I think I think is it Zero is another one, and uh, uh, Cashflow, Sage. You know, there's lots of of online stuff. 
as long as you keep passwords. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and I think you're right. I, I think that's where it's going. Mint certainly started that to some degree here in the U.S. I'm not avail- I'm not sure if Mint is available over in the U.K., um, but I, I see more and more businesses and, and more and more personal things like that going online. And to some degree, that's scary. But, you know, that that's where the world is going. This is this oh, is yeah. the new normal. And and that's you just well, it's quite interesting. Plan it's accordingly. Quite, it's quite interesting is, is in that um, I can run most of the business from uh, my iPad now as well. So if I'm going out and about, uh, I know we had the session at Macworld about friction on the iPad doing certain tasks, and that still does exist um, to a certain extent for me. But, you know, I can, if I have to, um, pretty much do everything I need to do other than the, the content creation. Uh, a content creation is studio-based, Mac-based, no question about that. But as far as sort of managing the membership, as far as accessing my online accounts, as far as accessing the, even the Podio system, there's a, there's a Podio app that allows me to um, both get notifications and also assign jobs and keep track of jobs. I can do that from Podio on, on iOS, on the iPad. Um, Zendesk, which is the help desk system, has got a really nice uh, iPad client, so I can access all the, uh, the help desk side of things from the iPad. Um, yeah, so that's, you know... I. Um, Going away for a couple of days next week, and I'm just going to take my iPad Air with me, and that should should see me through for those couple of days while I'm away. Yeah, I, I get by with my iPad quite a bit these days, so I I get where people say that they can't replace the laptop, and it can't. It's a different device, but boy, there's there is a lot you can get done, and sometimes they're different things. You know, sometimes bringing your iPad with you means you're going to work on Project X instead of Project Y, but at the same point, when you get back to your Mac, the Project X is done, so you can spend your time on Project Y. Sure. And and Don, you talked a little bit about you know managing the subscriptions and um, you, a little bit of your website. I know your website underwent a major redesign since the last time we had you on the show, and it, it seems like you've really streamlined a lot of that stuff, and uh, I, I'm sure a lot of that just comes with with knowledge and figuring out where the friction and, and where the pain points were. But um, how do you manage to keep all of that stuff synced up, knowing when someone's paid, when someone hasn't, and oh yeah, well now they get a magazine subscription, and this is how the code is auto populated. <laughs> yeah. And please tell me you're not doing all that by hand. No, 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 no. I did, I did start off doing it all by hand, but no, no, that's, it's, it's gone beyond that now. No, I mean, the, um, uh, I mentioned before the, the, the package that controls the membership is a, is a package called a member. So that controls the allocation of usernames and passwords. Oh, um, and it, it integrates also with your website. Yes. Yeah. So people log on to the website and then they log on with their a member username and password. And then that gives them the access privileges to, um, it's normally the same pages, but depending on their access privileges, they see a different view of the page. So if they're not a member and they go to each show has a separate video page. So there's an iOS video page and a, a Mac video page. So if you click on a link to go to one particular show, uh, if you're not a member, if you've not logged in, you'll, you'll see the, the standard page. But instead of seeing the full video, you'll see a trailer of the uh, the full show. Um, some of the buttons are disabled because you're not a member. If you sign on as a member, you'll see the same page, but some extra functionality is delivered to you. Um, the Magcast guys did a great job. Um, to be honest, when I first started the magazine, it, w- it was a horrendous problem syncing the the membership um, sort of allocation to, to the magazine because that wasn't in place. But they've since uh, written a new a module that actually links up with the website now. So again, that's automated. So if you're a member, you can automatically subscribe to the magazine. Um, nothing, you know, no, no manual intervention required. Um, if people expire or cancel the membership, you know, the membership privileges are revoked and then they default back to seeing a, the, you know, the non-member version of the website and the, 
the magazine subscription is cancelled. So it, it all works fairly seamlessly at the moment, I'm happy to say. It's, it's taken a while to get there, but pretty much everything now is automated. I just need to do a little bit more work on... Um, I'm using MailChimp for uh, some of the automated responses to people. So I need to do a little bit more work on uh, tidying that up for new members. But otherwise, pretty much everything else is automated. Wow. Well, Don, where does the Screencast Online Empire go from here? Uh, good question. Well, we're still we're still plodding on. We're still doing our uh, our, our weekly doses of, of Mac and iOS tutorials. I mean, the nice thing is, you know, the, there's so much stuff to cover, and there's so many great applications coming out. I mean, you mentioned Linda before. I'm a great fan of Linda. They but they do a, a different sort of um, tutorial service than I do because I, I uh, they do the big, you know, the really um, powerful uh, five six hour tutorials on 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 packages i i just did one on the google analytics that they have which was really good whereas i can focus i can be a little bit more agile and just do half hour spots on you know lots of third party applications and stuff like that so um th- there's tons and tons of stuff out there that uh, you know need um support for uh, third party screencasts to have a look at apple keep coming out with new stuff um, you know, it's just going from strength to strength, really. And, you know, it's, I'm not going to go mad by bringing too many guests in, but, you know, the occasional guests just to uh, take the load off me, but also to give a bit of variation, a um, bit of light and shade on the show as well, I think is a good thing as well. So we'll probably see a few more guests appearing now and again. Well, Don, well, Don just in awe. Yeah. We're, <laughs> I'm always impressed with you, Don, and you're just such a nice, nice man. You know, every year I really enjoy seeing you at Macworld and catching yeah, up with you. It's good to be so. And uh, and that that Liverpool accent never ceases to uh, you know impress the Anglophile in me. So <laughs> actually, it was very fun at, at MacWorld. I was with you at a at a dinner, and you were sitting next to Philip from Smile. Mm-hmm. And you're both from the UK, but you have very different accents. And, yes, uh, and I was enjoying listening to the interplay between the two of you. But uh, <laughs> thanks thanks for everything you've brought to the community and the way you've just really led the way with all this great stuff you've done. No, it's enjoyable. I say, you know, it's 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 um it's it's a pleasure to do it as well. Obviously, you know, it 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 it, uh, it funds my uh, habit, uh, my you know, addiction to gadgets and stuff. I can I can buy some nice new gear uh, every so often, but you know, it's a business expense, so that's that's fine. But no, I really enjoy it. It's it's a lot of work. I, I you know, I used to do a full time job. I mean, I don't know how you guys do your full time job and do the podcast as well because it's it's a crazy amount of work. But you know, honestly, I, neither do I. <laughs> Sometimes I'm running into the wall on that one. Oh, yeah. But, um, you know, I actually work harder now than I think that I did when I did my full time job because there's so much to do. But the the fruits of the labor, once I get everything properly automated and, uh, you know, I can throttle back a little bit or perhaps look at uh, doing some extra pieces. I've got lots of ideas. The thing is, there's only only so many hours in the day and, uh, you know, I've got lots of things I'd like to cover, lots of topics I'd like to cover, lots of. Uh, you know, different sort of projects I'd like to take on, but I need to make some space to actually be able to do that. And uh, we will get there. Well, Don, tell everybody uh, where they can find you. Okay. Well, the main website is across on screencastonline.com. Um, and actually, what I was thinking while we were talking before, I pro- it probably would be a good idea um, to set up some sort of discount code so that uh, Mac Power users, uh, listeners can actually go in and, uh, and uh, subscribe at a discount. So I'll set something up. Um, I've not set it up as yet, but I'll probably set up a separate page. So um, by the time you hear this, there'll probably be a page across at screencastonline.com. Uh, should we call it Mac Power Users? Yeah, and, maybe, uh, maybe screencastonline.com slash Mac Power Users. Will that work? Yeah. If you go over there, I'll set up some sort of discount deal or whatever so you can go in and have a look. I mean, if you if you don't want to, you can always go across to the main website. There's a, um, a standard 14-day free trial anyway. But uh, for new members, I'll set up um, 
uh, a discount code across on that separate page, screencastonline.com slash users. Thank you well, so thanks, much. Thanks, Donna. That's great. a great fit for our listeners because they're going to love the stuff you're producing over there. Cool. Yeah, no, good stuff. Uh, and Twitter, Don, you're on Twitter? Yeah, on Twitter as Don McAllister and um, all the usual places. I've got a Facebook account. Uh, there's a Screencast Online Facebook account. There's a Screencast Online Google Plus community as well, if uh, people want to hang out over there. Uh, app.net, although I have to say I haven't been on app.net for a while, but Don McAllister over there as well. But uh, Twitter's my main sort of uh, communications conduit at the moment. Yeah. Well, you can find links to everything that we talked about in this episode on our website over at MacPowerUsers.com or at 5x5.tv. You can also send us feedback to feedback at MacPowerUsers.com. Uh, on Twitter, we are at MacPowerUsers. Katie's at Katie Floyd, and I'm at Max Perky. All right. And uh, thank you again, Don, for joining us. We really appreciate it. We appreciate the discount code. Go to ScreencastOnline slash MacPowerUsers and uh, find something special there. And uh, we'll see you next week. Yeah, and that's I'll, great. And thank I'm you sure I'll be feeling better by next week, so I won't be <laughs> coughing and hacking on the show. Uh, thanks again, Don. See you, uh, see you soon. Yeah, no problem.